welcome to the Retreat House Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Smith. I've invited a friend to the table to share their story. Come and join us. Welcome to the table. We are continuing our series called What's Your Story? And today I have a friend with me that is, it's just really fun how I first heard of her. My guest today is Sundia Oaks. And the how I first heard of Sundia is, so I'm on, you know, I'm on the committee for the Set Apart Women's Conference at the University of Northwestern in St. Paul. And we got a workshop proposal with for this woman with this amazing story. And I just remember when we were going through workshop proposals, I was like, let's take a second look at, at her. Let's, let's, let's take a second look at her. So then I go to Azer Collective, which hang on in a couple of weeks, or maybe we already heard it, but I've recorded an episode with Joe Saxton. So you'll hear more about Azer Collective, which is fun. But anyway, so I'm at Azer Collective and she, uh, her nickname is Sunny. And so I see Sunny on her name tag. And so I go over and I was like, did you, did you submit a workshop to set apart? Like I was trying to be all like stealth about it and she did. And then someone else that was sitting in the circle did, and they had just gotten their emails that they were going to present at set apart. So then it was this whole fun conversation. And now here we are sitting at the table together. So welcome, Sundia. Thank you, Angie. I'm (laughs) so excited to be here. So fun. So yeah. fun that you're yeah. here now talking it's on the podcast. Crazy to be at your kitchen table <laughs> yeah. hanging out. And it's been really sweet to get to see you and know you a little bit throughout this year. Yeah, I've enjoyed it too. Mm-hmm. So where, oh, I'm sorry. Is there any, you do other things. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yes. It's great. What, what other things would you like to say about yourself and by way of introduction? Yes. So <laughs> I work for Crew, was formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ. I have served with this ministry for the last 11 years, and most of my time was in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and this year I transitioned to Minnesota, Mm -hmm. and I've been working at the U of M. Specifically, I work with women who are in sororities, as -hmm. well as women of color, but overall, many different college students. Okay. Nice. I didn't know that it was specifically sororities. Yeah. That was kind of a focus. mm -hmm, It's an offshoot. And so Crew reaches out to international students, students from different ethnic backgrounds. And I actually was in a sorority in college. I'm a FIMU. And they had just started at the university a couple years ago. So just a conversation with the president. She invited me in. And then from that, it launched uh, Greek ministry here at the U of M. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Okay, so now let's go back and start with your story from the beginning. So where were you born? So I was born in Sarita Vihar, India. It's actually uh, really close to Delhi. Okay. And I lived in an orphanage my first year of my life, and I don't uh, have any information about my birth parents, but I do have, I have had the sweet opportunity to go back to my orphanage and meet people who took care of me as a baby. Which is amazing. I can't I, wait till we get to that. We will get there. So we'll get to that part. There are yeah. of my story. <laughs> so then how did you get from India to the United States? Yes. So when I was one, I was adopted by my past family uh, in the United States. I grew up in Wisconsin, a really, really small town. And my family 
uh, had adopted me in the midst of having three sons, biological sons at home. And they really longed to have a girl join their family. And I was that girl. Okay. So, and you said past family. So will you talk a little bit more about why, why that language and how that, how that came up? Yeah. So my story has a lot of brokenness in it and it's very traumatic. I, uh, was actually adopted into a home, what I call a broken adoption. It's not the typical full of joy, full of lots of love, lots of scooped up, uh, lots of taking in. Mm-hmm. I was adopted into a home where they ended up regretting adopting me. Mm-hmm. They had put all of this work in. I'd come overseas when I was one. And unfortunately, since I was a little girl, there was a lot of abuse uh, in my home growing up. And mm-hmm. so I knew from a really young age that my parents actually didn't want me, the, my adoptive parents. And so I grew up believing that I actually was not meant to be. Mm -hmm. And I put pieces together of my story that if my birth parents, when I was little, I thought my birth parents didn't want me. And if my adoptive parents don't want me, then who am I and whose am I? Mm. And so how do you, so, so that's where you're growing up and you Mm -hmm. stayed there. Did you Were you in that home all the way through graduating high school? Yeah. So I graduated high school before I turned 18. And on my 18th birthday, I was actually kicked out of my house. Mm. Uh, The day before I turned 18, my parents had changed the locks on our doors and had said, you have to be out by midnight uh, or we will call the authorities. And so I actually had known that since I was 13 years old. And I lived in just a lot of fear and a lot of wonder of what was going to happen next or where was I going to go. And I would say a lot of people ask me like, what kept you alive? Yeah. And how did you survive? And a couple of significant things. I did not grow up in a home where Jesus was talked about as a personal relationship. Mm-hmm. We went to church. We are very religious, but it wasn't anything more than going to a church. Mm-hmm. And it's like knowing about God, not knowing God personally. Yes, absolutely. And so I didn't really know where I was at in my own faith journey. Mm -hmm. And right between my freshman and sophomore year of high school, I heard a message on the radio that was, no one can make you have a bad day. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh my goodness, that's truth. No one has control over me having a good day or me having a bad day. And so I clung on to that. And that is something that kept me alive in that no matter how bad the evening or the morning was of how much abuse or name calling or neglect happened toward me, I wasn't going to let what was happening in my home affect the rest of my story and the rest of my day. And so I would just put it away and choose joy and choose to put energy into other things. And so... Oh my goodness. So you're like 15 at that 14, 15 at the time. Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. So before that, though, how did you, like, how did you get through the day? You know, you're saying that the morning and the evening, I'm assuming those are the times that you were home. Correct. Were the worst yeah. times. Yeah. So school became my safe haven. Mm-hmm. Teachers were my heroes. Friends were 
They were the people who looked out for me, who when I'd come to school bawling my eyes out because of something that had just happened the night before or the morning of, Mm -hmm. my friends would say like, are you okay? How can we be there for you? And teachers would lean inward. They would Mm -hmm. ask some really good questions and they had gotten other people, uh, officials involved and it didn't really go anywhere, but but you saw these people advocating for you. Yes, I did. I did. So, and was the abuse from your parents or from your brothers? It was as well? all of the above. All of the above. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, as a little girl in a town, I didn't a want to tell people. Very small town. I didn't want to tell people what has was happening mm-hmm. because I didn't know if people would believe me. And then also, I also didn't know what that would do about my identity. I didn't know mm-hmm. how that would change how people viewed me. So I tried to just put on a smile and pretend nothing was wrong, but people picked up on it and I'm glad people did, but I also wanted to protect what was going on inside the home. Mm -hmm. But the more I could be outside of my home, the better. So I played sports, I did choir, I signed up for extracurricular stuff. And so that helped me to not be in my house as much. Okay. So then you turn 18 and you're literally locked out of your house. What do you, I mean... That is not most people's experience of graduating. It's the last summer at home before they go off to college, but then you're cut off. So then what what did, what did you do? What did you do? Yeah. As my friends were enjoying grad parties and doing the last hurrah before going to college, I was trying to figure out what would be next. And this teacher's family took me in and I lived with them for a semester and I went to a two-year college uh, near my hometown. And it was what I could afford at the time is what I could do. And so they mm-hmm. took me in and said, why don't you just stay here, nanny for our boys and live rent free. And so that was just a gift of grace. Mm-hmm. And so I transitioned into their home, got to know this family. And I spent my first semester of college at a two-year college. I played basketball for this school and that was really life-giving, but it wasn't where I thought my life would continue. And mm-hmm. so I ended up transitioning to a four-year college. Okay. And some, because you're working for crew. Mm-hmm. So somewhere along the line too, you ran into Jesus. So where did that come? I mean, were you a part of crew when you were at college? Is that where that happened? Actually, I came into college really not wanting anything to do with faith mm-hmm. so much because I just had other priorities mm-hmm. and um, survival. Survival is, is one prob- of them. I mean, were you just really focused on that mindset of, I just need to get to the next day? So it's not thinking about thriving and planning and dreaming. Is it really, was it really just about, I'm going to get to tomorrow? It, in college, it was more, I, I am, remember unpacking my dorm room and moving in second semester. And I had some suitcases and different things. And the best analogy to put toward this season, what I was walking through was all of my past, all of the trauma, all of the junk that had happened to me. I was going to put in a suitcase, zipper it up, put it far under my bed where I wasn't going to see it. And I was going to start a new chapter and a new, a new trail Mm -hmm. for my journey. I didn't want any of my past to seep into this next new adventure Mm -hmm. I was on. And yet how could it not? It definitely affected it. But in my mind, I didn't want to go backwards. I just wanted to move forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As for crew, my first friend in college, her name is Alyssa. She's a gem. She and I met in choir in college, and she would invite me to church. She was a pastor's kid, 
and she would invite me to church and her dad was a pastor and I just said, no, thank you. I mm-hmm. just always had other plans <laughs> on the weekends instead. Like and maybe sleeping on a Sunday morning. Yep, sleeping <laughs> and I'd say making some poor decisions mm-hmm. too out mm-hmm. on Friday nights. And and she was just so persistent. We would go out for coffee. We would have lunch. And she was my age. And I couldn't understand why she took such interest in my spiritual walk. Mm-hmm. And she would ask me questions about what I believe and I didn't have a lot of background knowledge spirituality wise, so I didn't really know how to engage in that conversation. But she was patient and I kind was of it, was it something you were even interested in? Not really. I think there was a little curiosity, mm-hmm. but it really intimidated me as well. Mm-hmm. And I think because of all of the hurt that I had walked through, I didn't really know who God was in the midst of all of that and where he was. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until my senior year, I was the homecoming queen uh, for our university, and she thought, well, you should share your story at our crew meeting about becoming the homecoming queen, but coming from a really hard past. So she talked to the staff, and the staff said, yeah, let's have her come and share. So I shared about my story a little bit at this crew meeting, heard about a missions trip, signed up for the missions trip went down to Panama City Beach, Florida with 25 different strangers. And at the end of the week, I understood that I have a Savior who loves me Mm. and he wants to save me from all of my sins and from eternal separation. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the week, I really made a decision to choose to begin a personal relationship with Jesus. And for me, I had one of those aha moments Mm -hmm. where everything looked and sounded different after I prayed a short prayer with a staff person. Mm -hmm. And I really realized whose I was in that moment. And my staff coach, Kyle, had said, don't let this be a secret. Tell everyone. And so I did. I came Mm -hmm. back and I told my roommate, some sorority sisters, a baseball player on my dorm floor. And I just saw God continue to move in their lives And then I wondered how many more people on this earth don't have that message of hope Mm -hmm. and freedom. Mm -hmm. And so it it kind of became what I was about was just telling people about the good news. Come see what what he's done for me. Mm -hmm. And so that's what started this desire to serve and go and make disciples. So then a little bit about that, what he's done for you. Um, Because as you were talking about coming to know Jesus personally and I was thinking about all the broken and the hurt that you were taking that was in that suitcase and then I was thinking about the shalom about making all the wrong things right about how he he does that that he he's with us like we will go through trials yes. <laughs> like there's there's if someone tells you you won't knowing Jesus that things are going to be easy that's a lie it won't be but so what has your experience been like well first of all have has that been your experience of him making the wrong things right, bringing healing and redemption. Yep, I could tear up Mm -hmm. (laughs) thinking about it. The spaces and places that he has redeemed are so, I'm speechless. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when when you just first start walking that out, so you're telling everybody about Jesus. Okay, so you're telling everybody about Jesus and eventually that suitcase needs to be opened. So when when did that happen and what we talk a little bit about what that was like? Yes. So 
it happened unexpectedly for um, me. I'm it was very <laughs> unexpected. Sure, yeah, sure. It felt like it flung open mm-hmm. and there all of my laundry in their glory was mm-hmm. all over the place and I couldn't pick them up in time to mm-hmm. put them back and put them away. It was a few years after I gave my life to the Lord and had graduated from college that I started, I just remember the season of deep sadness and confusion as to Mm -hmm. what I was walking through. And I thought that there was something maybe emotionally, medically wrong with me. And so I actually found a counselor and I started going to a counselor who himself was actually an orphan at one point in his Mm -hmm. life. And he is quite, uh, he's been quite a hero in my journey. And he just started unpacking my story with me. And he Mm -hmm. said, Sunday, you're not depressed. You are grieving. And mm. I was like, grieving? Well, what do you mean grieving? And he explained, you've gone through so much loss. Mm-hmm. You've lost a birth mom and a birth dad. And you've also lost an adoptive mom and adoptive dad. You've lost two different families. And that's more loss than most people will ever go through mm-hmm. in their life. And when he put it into those terms, it hit me that, yeah, I it makes sense that I'd have this deep sadness and ache and pain and all of the pain and the trauma that I had endured. Thank the Lord for the trauma wall that goes up that protects you against being wiped out as a kid Mm. that actually had come down at this season. And I started to really feel the, the sadness, the anger, the despair, Mm -hmm. the lostness. And I didn't have words for my friends for what I was going through because it was so confusing to me and I hadn't seen anybody else walk through that. Right, right. I mean, I'm sure it was just completely overwhelming. Uh, like none. getting doused, yeah. yeah, like getting doused with really cold water where you can't like catch your breath. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, and so we I call it it was like my hardest it was the grieving year mm-hmm. and it was the first year that opened it up. And it was a lot of counseling, a lot of prayer, a lot of tears, and just a lot of looking back and taking an honest look at my story Mm -hmm. and the places that were gone, that were stolen, that were neglected. And then it's just unraveled more and more and more healing throughout my journey. Over the last handful of years, I've been able to do a couple different intensives, which are three days long working with a counselor Mm -hmm. for numerous hours during the day and just uncovering my story and seeing where God has shown up and calling the places of lost, lost. Mm -hmm. And so it's been really redeeming. And what, so that the year of grief that you were having, what was this after college? Like what was your daytime life looking like? Because you said you couldn't find words to, to tell your friends what was happening. I mean, were your friends aware of it? Do you know what I mean? What was what was happening outside of the counseling office? Yeah, I would I would just suddenly be filled with tears Mm -hmm. and a deep aching cry, which wasn't my normal. That's not typically how my friends would have experienced me in that season, Mm -hmm. but it would happen so often. And I just started telling them, oh, this holiday feels really heavy and really hard. Or as Mother's Day is coming up, this feels really hard and really heavy. And it was words that I was putting to things that I had never put to before. And a lot of my friends felt concerned, 
but they didn't really know how to enter in, but they tried to, which I am so thankful they tried to. Mm -hmm. And they were comforting for me and they did help me, but some of it was just Jesus needing to do some of his work on my own soul. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And during this season, I was in between just joining staff with crew full time and I was in a season of ministry partner development. And so I was working and uh, meeting with people and churches. And I think that that season I had capacity to feel and to heal. And so that in itself was a gift, even though in the moment it felt really hard. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, your story and my story are completely different, but I've gone through a season of intense grief. And so what you're saying about just, crying easily and that ache that physical ache is was it a physical like a physical pain was something I wasn't expecting with grief so I mean I I resonate with what you're saying about grief that that's and and people around you don't know they don't know what to do and even when people said quote the wrong thing they were still saying something I I, what I found most painful was when people said nothing yes Mm because then it was like I'm invisible and my pain's invisible. So how great that your friends were, even though like they didn't know what to do, that they were trying, trying to enter into it. Yeah. They grew to be more sensitive in what we would talk about. Or Mm -hmm. I think there were so many unknown triggers for me of seeing a family in church. Church became a really hard spot for me because that's where all families and dads and moms and kids and all of that, that was just there up in my face. And it's a good thing. It's a good place. But when you feel the depths of the loss of what has been taken and, and also never had, it just, those two hit each other and it just hurts. Mm Mm-hmm. So then when you, and it almost sounds like too, that this was a year, the year before you started working with crew, almost like you can correct, correct me if I'm wrong, please. But almost like the Lord was saying, okay, we need to deal with these things because you're going to go into ministry and like, you need to be on a path of healing. And also, I mean, have you seen him use your, like, just like I see your grief, even though our experiences are different, were there things that you had gone through that God has used in your ministry? I mean, was that year of hard, like, preparation for what he's had for you to do? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I had put in two years prior of internship experience with crew, but... I can totally see God using that year right before launching me into full-time ministry as just significant. And I mean, I look at the women that I've gotten to sit across from on a dorm bed in a cafeteria or just even at my own home as I've welcomed them in to have lunch or coffee at my own kitchen table. And I've sat with women from various different stories, stories of uh, very no pain, no abuse growing up, but just really having a hard time understanding what faith looks like to them because they haven't had a really hard time having to believe Mm -hmm. all the way to women who college gals 
who have gone through really severe adoption stories. Mm. It is interesting to me that the Lord has brought girls from all over the world, both domestically and internationally through adoption, who have really aching, hard stories and journeys. And I've had girls say, like, I've never met someone who's had a broken adoption story like mine. Mm. And so almost every semester, there's a girl who comes to me and says, I'm adopted and I have either a similar or different and it's been really hard to process it. And currently those aren't the things that we talk about. It's not, it's not. And I think sometimes people can look at adoption and just see the good and the joy. Mm -hmm. And yet adoption has, there's two sides of a coin. There's this mourning, there's grief, and then there's joy. Mm -hmm. And it's both, it's both loss and gain in adoption. And currently I'm walking through with a student here in the cities who's trying to understand the loss in her story Mm. of adoption. And it's been really hard for her to walk through, but she's invited me into that. And I've invited her into my journey. And I've pointed these girls toward the Lord, toward, uh, toward counseling, toward healing. And even just said, like, there's no direct way to go through healing except alongside of community alongside of professional help, if that's a resource and available. Mm -hmm. And really with your hands open. I think for me, pain is something I want to flee from. And it's really hard. Seven, right? You're an Enneagram seven? Seven, yes. I want to pretend it's not there and flee. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I've seen the results of actually pushing into it. Mm -hmm. And the joy that follows the pain, the joy that comes after the morning of grief, mm-hmm. and it's worth it. Mm-hmm. It is so worth it. And so being able to communicate to these girls who have gone through really hard things, this is really painful and really hard, and I understand it through my own lens, but it's worth it. Sit in it. Walk through it. And I continue to tell myself, sit in it. Walk through it. As I've gone through broken seasons in even the recent years. Mm -hmm. So how, so you were estranged from your family on your 18th birthday and that was a while ago. Mm -hmm. So where, what is that, you know, what has your path been like? I'm assuming, do you still have no relationship with them? No, I don't. I have processed this for many years in the context of counseling and Mm -hmm. in my own walk with the Lord. And I think there's two significant things. One, the Lord has brought me through a journey of forgiveness and forgiving my parents, forgiving my family for what has happened to me. And then also an honest look at, I don't know if having a relationship with them at this point in my life would be the best for myself and the best for Mm -hmm. them. And so I've had to make a really wise and healthy decision that this probably isn't what God has for me. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. How did you get to the point where you could forgive them? Yeah, <laughs> that's a story in itself. I remember sitting in a coffee shop. I had just become a believer a few months earlier. And I was sitting in a coffee shop one day. And I felt prompted to write a few qualities about both my past mom, my past dad. And I was like, am I hearing this right? Is this really mm-hmm. what I'm I'm feeling nudged toward? And at first I was disobedient and didn't do it. And then I felt the nudge again. And I was like, okay, I I think I got to do this. So I wrote out a few good qualities about my mom and about my dad. And then I was asking the Lord, why would you have me do that? You Mm -hmm. know what they've done to me. 
And throughout some journaling and through prayer, I understood that I was going to begin a journey of forgiveness and understanding what that actually means. For that next year, I studied every word of forgive, forgave, forgiven, forgiveness in the NIV study Bible. Mm -hmm. And I wrote out, I would read it, I'd write out what it meant, and then I'd write out how it applies to my life. And before long, I started understanding that I have been forgiven of so much. Who would I be to not forgive someone else? Jesus has, has died for me and paid the price for all my sins that I have done. And so through understanding that, I began, my heart just began to loosen and to become more soft. And I thought I was just about forgiving them, but it was more about understanding my own forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the this year, I ended up writing a letter to my parents and a letter that was just a really honest look at, here is what you've done to me. Here's how it affected me. Here's what you've missed in my life. And then the last portion of the letter, it was a seven page letter. The last portion had mom and dad, I have come to know the Lord in a sweet, sweet way. And my heart would be that you would get to have that as well. And so I forgive you love you and I hope that you too will experience a life transformed because of the gospel and I signed it and with that letter I prayed for a couple of days of what to do with it and and talked to some friends and then I took it back down to Panama City Beach Florida and I ended up just burning it up on the beach because it was mm-hmm. about me and the Lord more so than them and so occasionally I do pray for them I pray that God would put someone in their path so that they could walk through and experience the gospel as well. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I mean, that's miraculous is the only word I can think of to describe that you would be able to to forgive them and to and 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 forgive in an ing, not just I'm going to say the words I forgive you, but I'm going to live in forgiving you. Yes. So it's funny you say that because. As I continue to go through counseling and healing, as new things come up of things that I have forgotten or things, suppressed memories, Mm -hmm. I have to remember like, oh, yes, this memory really hurts and I hadn't even thought about it. I continue to forgive you. Mm -hmm. And so it's an ongoing process and journey. Yeah. So, so what has, you know, what is the Lord doing now with your story? So you've talked a little bit about this, the journey of forgiveness that you've been on and how he's been using it with your students. How do you walk through the day in light of your story? So I would say just recently, I have come to learn more about my fierce and loveliness. Hmm. It's been something that's new that kind of came out of some counseling that I just went through uh, this year. And when I think about how am I experiencing my story today and what's what's happening i would say i have learned that my story represents not only redemption and restoration but it's also the i have said yes to not just letting my story happen to me but mm-hmm. re-narrating my story and yet letting it be used for good and for light and for life and so i have stepped in and the fierceness in me is saying, I'm not going to 
step aside and just let this happen to other people. I want to speak out Mm -hmm. and I want to advocate for other people. And I want to fight against darkness in my own journey and in the journeys of others. And so the fierceness has come alive in me uh, over the last year. And then on the other side of that, this loveliness. I think I am still learning and growing and understanding that I am lovely. So much of my femininity was torn away from me as a little girl, and a lot of it has been redeemed. Mm. And so the lovely in me says, I am going to commit to representing the beauty of Christ that's, that's seen through me and the glory of Christ that, that is, that people see through me as well. And so the fierce and lovely really do represent my story and not just taking a sideline and letting my story happen to me, Mm -hmm. but me taking ownership of it alongside of the Lord and letting him use me and my story for good, whether that's in the lives of my friends or in the family that I have created or on the college campus. Yeah. And as you were saying that when you're talking about this last year, because you had a huge transition last year. And so how do you deal with that? I mean, does you had a huge transition and a huge shift and and what do you do with does that bring up the past and how do you navigate stuff from the past being brought up in in new situations where like it's a little out of your control and maybe there are some some similar feelings from the past yeah i feel really known by that question okay. yeah i think the transition of coming to minnesota brought up things from my past. I really hadn't moved from my college town besides one gap year in there, mm-hmm. but I really hadn't moved over the last many years. And so it brought up and, this... And you left huge like network family of people and had to make all things new again. Yeah. Yeah. It was really hard at first. It caused me to have to think I felt like I used a lot of mental capacity Mm. up when I first got here because it was, I've never lived in a city Mm. uh, this size. I didn't really know the highways here are a little bit different, (laughs) just a little bigger, more Mm -hmm. crowded. And I had to figure out what ministry looked like in a whole new context Mm. of a bigger city, a bigger community. And so that is why I pursued counseling when I got here um, in different facets. Um, One was through some horse therapy Uh, to develop um, some relationships. Yeah, it's called equine therapy. Mm. And then I also saw um, a couple other people, both near and far, that really helped me understand more of some of the layers of my story that were coming up this year as I was kind of plucked out of what I had and God brought me here. So is there anything, a part of your story that we haven't talked about yet that you want to make sure that we talk about? Yeah, so I would love to share a little piece of my name and the significance mm-hmm. of Sundia Rig Oaks. And Oh, and you have to talk about India too. We didn't we said yes. we would talk about that. So So how about I go start with India? Okay. Okay. So a significant part of my journey is I have had the opportunity to go back to where I've come from. And that's been super significant. I had the opportunity five years ago to travel to India with my pastor's wife Heather. And we went and got to meet a couple of the people who took care of me as a baby. It's just amazing. It is so amazing. It was even a journey trying to find my orphanage. I didn't Mm -hmm. have enough of the paperwork and uh, context as to where it was or if it was still up and going. And 
KP Ohanan, the founder of Gospel for Asia Ministry, ended up coming to a conference that I helped serve at. We got connected and he took the little bit of paperwork that I had and actually found my orphanage and located it and connected me there. And so it was only a few months later that I went there and I spent 10 days getting to help serve, getting to help uh, take care of the kiddos, but also getting to ask any questions I had uh, about India, about the culture, about Mm -hmm. the stories of the people who are working and coming through the orphanage. And so that is a gift that I hold on to that has really shaped my story. How did that feel? Okay, just go with me on this one. Mm -hmm. So my ancestry is Irish and Scottish. And when I turned 45 years ago, we went with my sisters and my aunt to Ireland, Scotland, and England. And when we touched down in Scotland, I felt like I was home. And I had never been there before. And it was weird. And I was talking to somebody else who had been to Scotland, and she said she felt the same thing. And she's like people, mystic people would say that there's a thing about that. Mm-hmm. You were actually born in India. When you touched down in India, did it feel like home? It's really cool that you would ask that question because my first words when we touched down, I looked at Heather and I said, this is where I'm from. Mm. And those few words are so significant because I've never really gotten to say that in the United States because mm-hmm. this isn't where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And so it felt like a piece of home, but yet it also didn't because it's been so long since I had lived there. And so it was kind of like two of my worlds combining. Mm-hmm. And it, it took some navigating to figure out how I was doing and how to interpret different things there. But it was such a gift of getting to go back to where I was born. Yeah. So then now talk about your name. So my name is Sandia Oaks, and it actually has a really sweet story that comes with it. I grew up as Jen my whole life, or Jenny my whole life, and I had an American last name. And it was about nine years ago that I happened to find my name on the back of a baby photo. Mm. I was looking through some photos, saw a Polaroid, and realized uh, that the date on the photo didn't match up to my American name, and I was curious as to why my American name was on this photo if it was when I was in the orphanage. Mm. So I took the photo out of the plastic, happened to flip it over, and on the back it said, they call her Sundia in the nursing home hospital. Mm. And immediately I was like, I was so shocked and stunned. I didn't know what to say. And I just was like, that's my name. That's my name. And so I went up on the computer and I looked up what Sundia means. And Sundia actually means to connect darkness to light Mm -hmm. and a lower power to a higher power. And so spiritually speaking, it just really was meant to be. Mm -hmm. And it's really like what I want my life to be lived for is connecting people and being a bridge. Mm -hmm. And so I started asking my friends to call me Sundia as I was sharing the story. And then Sunny became a tag name off of that. And Oaks uh, happened just a couple years ago. About three years ago, I was in Fort Collins for a conference with crew, and I had asked the Lord right before going there, God, would you give me a new last name? Would you reveal that to me? Because I was at a part in my life 
where I was ready to change my name and just to embrace a new season. Mm -hmm. And on this street sign, it said Oak Street. I was walking down on Main Street and the cross street was Oak Street. And it just stuck out to me. The next day, and mind you, I didn't tell people about this, that I was going to change my name because mm-hmm. I didn't want people's opinions. Opinion, right, right, right. So this woman... <laughs> it's like if when someone's having a baby. Yes. Sometimes you yes. don't say because you don't want to... Yes, there's lots sense. of thoughts. Mm-hmm. So the staff woman comes up to me and says, hey, uh, Sunny, I was hiking in the mountains yesterday and I came across a sign that had my old last name on it and it had a retreat with it. And she said... In that moment, the Lord told me that if you ever change your last name, I'm supposed to help you pay for it. And I said, Candice, how, uh, who told you that? She's like, the, the Lord did. And I was like, oh my word. And so I knew that I was on the right path in changing my name. Mm-hmm. And three months later, I found myself in a courtroom in Oshkosh, Wisconsin with 50 of my friends. And I took the gavel, uh, the judge had given me the gavel, and at the third hit of the gavel, I declared my name Sandia Rig Oaks. And so... Which is so beautiful and doesn't make up for what you had lost when you were young. Let me say that first. But that photo of you in the courtroom and what has been rebuilt around you in your life is a testament of what has what God has done. Again, it doesn't... Take a, it doesn't replace or make okay the things that happen, but it, that picture is so beautiful of you in the courtroom surrounded by all those people that love you. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's a significant day. Uh, I call it my name change day, and it's a day I will never forget because it really shows redemption. Mm-hmm. 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 And also, just to step back once, that photo that you found of yourself didn't you take it back with you to the orphanage? Didn't you have baby pictures of you? I did. And there is one photo of me as a baby. And these two hands are kind of just holding me up. And I found out that it was the husband of the woman who runs the orphanage. His name is Mohinder. And that's his actual hands holding me up for that photo. Which is amazing. It that, is so you found. amazing. It My story is just piece after piece after piece of redemption and God revealing his light and his life to me throughout my whole journey, even though I I didn't have eyes to see it. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. So, and before we wrap up our conversation, talk a little bit about, too, about um, being a woman of color and this passion that you have to, to really lean into that. Yeah. So it wasn't until four years ago that I felt like I was awakened to my ethnicity. And I have done the DNA test. I am 100% Indian. But growing up, I grew up in a majority white culture. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't, there were some definite racial injustices that I have walked through, some really hard things um, throughout my life. But it wasn't until four years ago that the Lord chose to awaken me to that. And at first, it took a it took a lot of grace to navigate and to understand where I come from, who I am, what does this mean to be a woman of color today, and around the people who I who I do life with. Mm-hmm. And in the last four years, I have committed to being a learner of my own ethnic background and the ethnic backgrounds of other people. This 
has brought me on a journey of getting to steward my ethnicity as a woman of color in just different contexts. I've gotten to speak at different conferences and do different trainings um, in different contexts. And just recently, I was asked um, to apply for this position with the Lenses Institute, which is uh, crew does a five-day intensive uh, for people who are wanting to understand and grow in biblical oneness, racial reconciliation, mm-hmm. and how to see, understand, and act toward biblical oneness. And so this gal who uh, helped facilitate my intensive said, I think you should apply. And so I went through the application and the interview and all of that, and I just got accepted to be a facilitator. So a couple of times a year, I will travel around the U.S. and get to help shepherd other people who are on staff and off staff in in parachurch ministry, uh, how to understand their own ethnic background and then how to move toward others um, for biblical oneness and your again like your story i mean to to be a woman of color to grow up in majority white town and culture and then to yeah to purposefully lean into that and want to learn about it it's almost like a no-brainer yeah (laughs) that you'd be a facilitator (laughs) thank you it is it is interesting to me because when there's racial injustice there's typically that's there's trauma there Mm -hmm. and so it uh, my spiritual director just recently pointed out this traumatic traumatic journey that my upbringing was and this awakening of my ethnic identity mm. and how quite possibly the Lord's combining those two things to help bridge people toward understanding Imago Dei, that we're all made mm-hmm. in the image of God, as well as to bring healing to places. And so she's been kind of discerning that and pointing me toward that direction and it makes sense to me mm-hmm. and makes I, sense to me. my heart as a woman of color is to be an ongoing learner I will never fully grasp the the facets of being a woman of color and I will have to continue to grow in walking across the room to other people of color and other people who don't look like me and so I want I've committed my life to being an ongoing learner in this thank you I, because I feel like I really resonate with that of the wanting to step. It's good for me as a white woman to hear you as a woman of color talk about having to take the step to walk toward it because I feel like that too. Like I, It's good to hear that I'm not alone in that. Do you know what I mean? If we're both walking toward each other. Yes. And I think too with your understanding of majority white culture that for you to be a bridge makes a lot of sense too. Yeah. 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 Yes. I feel like that's part of what's been a setup for my life is to be a bridge. Mm-hmm. And so I want to do that. Yeah. This has been so good. I Such love a good it. conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so as you know, there are two questions that I ask all my guests. The first one is how do you retreat? Is it a place? Is it a practice? What does that look like for you? It is being out in nature. Retreating to me looks like wandering in nature. It might be a state park or a forest. It might be hammocking. It's being around God's creation, breathing it in, taking it in in my eyes and the and what I'm listening to. That's where I find refuge. That's where I find fullness. 
And that's where I come alive. But on the other side of that, it's also being in those places with people. I am highly relational, highly extrovert, extroverted. And so it's also being with life-giving people mm. and sharing stories. That's really how I retreat. And then my other question is, if you were to use the hashtag celebrate weird to describe something about yourself, what would that be? When I find a song that I really like, I will actually make a playlist with that song on maybe 12 to 15 times and literally for days in and days out, that's the only thing I will listen to in my car, on my phone, before I go to bed, when I'm just wandering around my house, I will listen to the same song for probably about two to three days if it's a really good song, Mm -hmm. constantly for hours and it drives my friends who are around me crazy. (laughs) They'll be like, you're listening to it again or you're going to get sick of it, which then I do get sick of it. Mm -hmm. And then I have to find a new one, but it's always been a little obsession of mine of, of finding a really good song. That's funny. Do you have one? Do you have a current obsession? Yes, I have uh, Ed Sheeran, Nancy Mulligan. It's yep. I just heard it, uh, in my friend's snap story. And my other friend was like, Sonny, that's like two years old. And I'm like, I don't care. It's my new obsession. <laughs> I'm not always up to date on music. Right. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming and sharing your story. And yeah, it's just, it's a real, it, your story is exceptional. And the way that you have allowed God to heal you and, and the way that you walk with him to, to forgive draws me to want to do the same i see christ in you i guess is what it is so thank you for coming and sharing your story thanks thanks for having me i have loved this thank you for joining me at the table any links or anything that we talked about during the show can be found in the show notes if you enjoyed today's episode please subscribe Or if you've already subscribed, please go leave a review so others can find us too. If you want to keep up with what's happening with Retreat House, you can find us at at Retreat House Podcast. If you want to keep up with what's happening with me, you can find me at at Angela Smith MN. Again, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week at the Retreat House Podcast. Podcast.